listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, July the 8th in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Mondays we hope to look forward to taking a look at some of the readings for the following Sunday, which is the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, July the 14th. Uh, The readings are from Psalm 41, from the book of Leviticus, Colossians 1, and Luke 10. For our study today, we're going to be taking a look at Leviticus. And they kind of divided it up. It's verses 1 to 5 in chapter 18, and then verses 9 to 18 in chapter 19. So let's kind of take a look at that and see if we can find something worthwhile. Well, this is the Bible, so you will always find something worthwhile. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, this is verse 1, chapter 18 of Leviticus, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. Now, this is really important because the I am is found with Jesus' words a number of times in the New Testament, I am the good shepherd, I am the door, I am the gate, etc., etc. And when he says, I am, he actually is using two Greek words when one would have been sufficient if he only meant I am. But he puts the personal pronoun I in front of the amy, so he says, ego emi. And that helps us to explain At the Garden of Gethsemane, they ask him, are you the one we're looking for, this Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus doesn't say, I am. He says, ego emi. And that's why the various soldiers fall down from the high priest, because they think they're hearing blasphemy, since Jesus is using the name of God for himself. So the Lord's speaking to Moses And he's saying, tell the people of Israel, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. Well, what does that mean? Well, what it's talking about is that the various nations had different statutes, different laws. We understand God's laws to be moral, civil, and ceremonial. Well, first of all, we're not to follow the ceremonial laws of Egypt or to Canaan. You know, a lot of those ceremonial laws, they would kill little babies to their idol Magog. And so, no, don't, don't follow that. Then the civil laws were even different for Israel. There were different punishments for civil crimes that were different than in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan that God had instructed them to follow. But most importantly, we're talking about the moral laws of the Ten Commandments. For example, nowhere in either Egypt or Canaan did they have the first three commandments? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
those who are distinctly for believers. Because you can not not have other gods before you if you're not a believer. So they had all kinds of gods. And what was somewhat interesting when Moses from God brought the plagues against Egypt uh, it was John Charlemagne, who was a field worker of mine, did a sermon on that. And I had not realized this, that many of the plagues were actually attacks against the Egyptian gods. So that God used plagues to show that they were not even in control of what was happening, locusts and frogs and blood and this sort of thing. It was really an interesting sermon. And that's why we don't follow the statutes and the rules of Egypt and Canaan, the people of Israel. God goes on, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. And then he adds again, I am the Lord your God. And the word Lord is all capitalized in the English, which means he's using the name of God, Yahweh, that was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. I am who I am. Verse 5, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now, this is called Law and Gospel, this program. And yet when you read something like this in the Bible, don't you get the impression that you will live by obeying the commandments? But that is a wrong impression. It's not that we don't obey the commandments, but it's a motivation behind obeying the commandments that is most important. For example, Israel was finally taken into Babylonian captivity by the Babylons, and that occurred not because the people weren't outwardly following some of the ceremonial laws, but they were doing it not by faith, but just because that's the thing you have to do. And so it was really important to understand that. For example, you can give a gift to someone, but what really counts is your motivation. When you give an apple to a teacher, for example, is it because you really appreciate what the teacher is teaching you and you really like the personality, or are you trying to get a higher grade? If giving the gift or doing the ceremonial law is out of self-interest, then God does not recognize that as true obedience because true obedience is always motivated by faith believing the promises of God. So that when Isaiah and others said, guess what, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, people would say, no way, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And remember what Jesus says, the same thing Jeremiah says, you have made my temple into a den of robbers. So, are there examples that God gives? And, and that's why the Old Testament reading is split into two. The first part we've looked at, Leviticus 18, 1 to 5. Now we move to Leviticus 19, 
beginning with verse 9. And here are some guidelines. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. Why? Why, why would you leave crops in the field? We don't, we don't see that today. I travel around a lot of farms going to various congregations. And when the corn is up, the corn is up. But when they harvest it, they don't leave corn along the edge. Why not? Well, you have to go on. Scripture interprets Scripture. It goes on in verse 10. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. Well, they can be made into wine. Why would you not gather them up? The answer is the last half of verse 10 of Leviticus 19. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. And guess what he says then? I am the Lord your God. You see, I don't know of any farm where the poor go over it after the harvest. Now, maybe there are some areas. I'm just ignorant of it. But this was a kind of a cultural thing. In fact, it helped keep the line of Jesus going when Naomi returned after the death of her two sons, and brought along with her Ruth. And what did she do with Ruth? Ruth would go into the field, and she would pick up those items of the harvest that had not been harvested right up to the edge, or the gleanings, or the fallen grapes, if they had them there. And that's when Boaz saw her. And, you know, all that happened from there. They ended up getting married, and the line of David continued. That's really part of the culture of that day. Uh, Yesterday, I, I did a sermon attempting to explain why Jesus says, when you go out witnessing, and I kind of summarized it this way, don't take a wallet, don't take a knapsack, don't take shoes, and don't greet anybody. Well, that sounds ridiculous, all that. But then when we looked at Scripture, interpret Scripture, it became very obvious what Jesus was saying. But that's a lengthy sermon, and so I'm not going to get into it right now. But Scripture interprets Scripture. I'll just give you one example. That I said the wallet, a lot of translations have, don't take a purse, But the word for purse there can mean not something that has money in it, but something that is to gather money from others. Like when you go and pick up the rent from people that you're renting to, uh, you may have a, uh, a wallet or something that you put their checks in. And that's what Jesus was saying. Don't go to people expecting to be paid for them. The example I gave, imagine if every time I went to a shut-in 
to give them communion, I took an offering plate with me. <laughs> and I put the offering plate down in front of them and wouldn't leave until they put money in it. See, that's was inappropriate that Jesus was saying. And there was a lot more to that. But getting back to this, this is a kind of a new rule. They weren't doing this, it appears, in Egypt or Canaan, where they allowed the drippings or the leftovers from the harvest to stay in the field for the poor. But in Israel, you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. Verse 11, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. Now, those, in a general sense, could also be rules that were found in Egypt and Canaan, especially about stealing. But remember what was happening with some of the tax collectors at the time of Jesus? They took more than they were supposed to take for the Roman government in order that they could make money off it. And one tax collector was so upset over that when he met Jesus that he gave back a multiple amount of what he had taken. It was in a way in dealing falsely. And there's examples in the Old Testament when they are weighing things on a balance. For example, somebody brings in some grain and they weigh it on the scale, but they adjust the scales so it's never showing the true amount. That would be dealing falsely. And if you ask them, are you sure that this is a correct balance? They'll say, oh, yes, I swear by God. Listen to verse 12. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You see, I, I just read an article. Now, I didn't hear this, but it was a letter to the editor in the Post-Dispatch uh, about uh, really criticizing some of the blue players, uh, the hockey blues, after their win, that they were using swear words. And the person just really didn't appreciate that, particularly since children were listening. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I never heard any of that. But uh, obviously he was in a situation where that might occur. You know, it's it's one thing to do it, you know, where they change. It's quite another thing to do it publicly. And so this is profaning the name of your God. I am the Lord. Verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. Now, how can you oppress your neighbor or rob him? Let's say you get your neighbor to rake your leaves. Listen to the next part. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. In other words, they were to pay the workers the day after. See, this is really important to understand the Bible because this was for Israel in their culture at that time. It isn't for us. I worked at uh, Chrysler, and I did not get paid every day. I got paid every two weeks. 
but that's what our culture does, and there's nothing wrong with that. But obviously, the wages of a hired worker were remaining with the employer, perhaps because he was using it for another reason, and therefore you didn't receive your page, uh, wages until the morning. Now, 14, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, for you shall fear your Lord. I am the Lord. You notice that I am the Lord is there all the time. Now, today, I don't see too many people cursing deaf or putting a stumbling block before the blind. But in that day, you have to remember, under Judaism, it was believed that people who were deaf or blind or lame or mute, that this was a curse from God for some sin they had done. Remember John chapter 9, the disciples, they meet this man born blind since birth. First question, is he blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? Of course, Jesus corrects that. But by saying that, that's putting a curse on the deaf, the blind, etc. And so, just like the Gentiles were to be looked at favorably by Israel, so also were those who had some problem with their body, not recognized it as a curse from God, but rather as a neighbor that need your help. 15. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Now, we see this a lot. Here in St. Louis, for example, it's a a well-known fact that if certain poor people go to court and they sue somebody, that they've got a pretty good chance of winning the case because of their status. They're considered to be individuals who really need help. And so jurors, at times, tend to give them the victory. Now, before long, some court overturns that victory because it was way too much or something. But this would be being partial to the poor. Even more terrible is being deferring to the great. Maybe there's somebody who, wow, has a lot of money. And so you defer to the great. I I just saw, I, I like watching YouTube, and this was a police, two police pulled over a gentleman who refused to get out of his car. He had been weaving back and forth in the road. He obviously was drunk. He lied that he had not had anything to drink. And the policeman didn't know it, but the individual talking about it said, and this is a judge. (laughs) And so we knew it was a judge, and he was swearing at the police. He refused to get out of the car. He finally had to be with that new item they had, tased. And they got him out of the car. And it was really kind of interesting to see how he thought that because he was a judge, they could not even ask him to get out of the car. 16. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. Well, 
if you want anything for pro-life, there's the only verse you need. Because how many people have no problem with abortion? You see, in Egypt and Canaan, that would have been a practice that would have been okayed. Even in Rome, at the time of Jesus, if the child born was female, they were often put out into the wilderness because males were much better to have because they could do the work as they grew up older, uh, they could get a family, etc. And so females were kind of looked down upon. 17, Leviticus chapter 19. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. So let's say you have a neighbor and he has a tree and all the leaves kept falling on your property and you have to clean it up. Well, you may hate him because he's not being aware. What God is saying, reason frankly with your neighbor. Go visit him and say, is there something we can do about this? And perhaps you say, oh, I didn't realize uh, the mess it was making over in your yard. I'll be glad to send my son over, you know, to rake up the leaves uh, for you. And, and see, you can come to a understanding between the two of you without incurring sin. Verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then it again ends, I am the Lord. You see, taking vengeance, we're not allowed to do that. That was permitted in Egypt and Canaan. But what does that mean? Remember the Bible verse? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. So, for example, I was long ago driving for a yellow cab, and I got robbed. Now, I could have taken a gun and shot the robbers as they ran away from the cab. But that actually is illegal. You can use a gun to defend yourself, But once they start running away, you can't do that. So did I take vengeance on them? No, I didn't. I went to God and allowed him to take over. In other words, I went to the police station, told them about the robbery. And as I was telling them, another yellow cab was being robbed by the same characters. And so the word went out. I don't know if they ever caught the young men, but at least all the cab drivers were now aware of what to look out for. If the police therefore ran after them and a shooting took place and they had to shoot one of the young men, that's God taking vengeance. It's not me. I use the proper authorities to help stop crime. And that's why we don't bear grudges. There's been more than once that I've gone to court for a friend that maybe had been living near us in the trailer court or something like that when he was arrested, uh, not to defend him, I'm not a lawyer, but to help him through the court case. And if he was found guilty and went to jail, 
then I would visit him in jail. And uh, in one case, he got out of jail after a few years, and I helped get him a job at a gas station. And he got back together with the family, and things, the last I heard, are working out pretty good. So that's what it means about loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what I would hope somebody would do for me if I was arrested, put in jail. And my friends, would they say, well, we're not going to visit him. He obviously is a criminal. No. And not to hold a grudge is really hard not to take vengeance. So there is a distinction between defending yourself and taking vengeance. And the two are really quite different. So there in Leviticus, God is saying, here's how believers are to respond. Not like they do in Egypt or Canaan. Why do you think we have our children go to youth confirmation? Because even when you become a Christian and are baptized, you don't have automatic knowledge of God's will for your life. And so we need to teach that on the basis of Scripture. We'll continue that tomorrow with Mark Smith when we take a look at the hymn where charity and love prevail. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.